Welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. And welcome to our Fall Equinox episode. Today we're going to talk to you about the equinox, astrological transits, the idea of harvest and witchcraft and associated mythologies, and some other goodies. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everybody. So I wanted to start off um, with some astrology work. I've been doing a lot of astrology work this year. That's one of the things I've been focusing on uh, during this whole quarantine pandemic situation. And while a lot of my focus has been on natal charts, I've been started looking at you know transits a lot more late recently, which is what the sky is doing right now. And uh, you know, early in September. A lot of people are talking about Mars going retrograde on the 9th and what does that mean? Looking at what's happening though, you know, beginning of September, Mars went retrograde, Jupiter was still in retrograde, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, all in retrograde. So the inner planets, Mercury and Venus were not retrograde, but pretty much everything else in the solar system has been retrograde. Okay. Can you do like a brief overview of what each of the planets that's in retrograde sort of influences? Sure. And I just want to say briefly that retrograde, what it means is that it looks like the, the planets are supposed to go um, left to right across the sky when you look at them as they move. And when they go retrograde, it looks like they're going right to left. And there's two reasons that this happens. One way that the planet can be seen to be retrograde is that it's simply on the other side of the sun from us. So we are going, you know, one side of the circle, they are going in the other side of the circle. When you look across that space of the, the sky, then it just goes the other way. The other reason planets go retrograde is that, especially for the outer planets, they're going much slower than we are. And so it's like when you're in a fast moving car and you pass a car on the highway, they're not going backwards. They're just going 60 miles an hour and you're going 70 miles an hour. And so they appear to be going backwards. And so that's what retrograde means is that it's this appearance of backwards motion. The planets obviously aren't turning around and going the wrong way in the universe. <laughs> so I just, I think that people just say retrograde a lot without actually explaining what it is. So I wanna kind of start there. So right, Mars is going, uh, has went retrograde on September 9th it will uh, pretty much be for the rest of this year that it will be retrograde. And Mars is, it is a planet of passion and anger and action and getting stuff done and sex drives and just like that really kind of like macho. Mars is a real macho planet. And, and when things go retrograde, you know, people are aware of Mercury retrograde because we talk about it so much in pop culture that, you know, signals get crossed. Things don't work the way you expect them to. And also a lot of it is inner work. So it, it, can, it can be really thought as similar to a reversal in a tarot card reading, that the energy is blocked in some way, or that rather than the energy existing in the outer world, the energy exists in your own inner world that you have work to do. Um, so, yeah, so Mars went retrograde September 9th through the end of the year. Jupiter has been retrograde starting in the middle of May and just went out of retrograde and stationed direct on the 12th of September. So it's just happened. And Jupiter is the king planet. It 
makes things big. It has good luck. It, ha- you know, it's this powerful planet, luck and money and happiness. You know, we use the word jovial for people being happiness, which is from the Latin for Jove. And so all that stuff that has been really lacking this summer, like, why isn't, why isn't things working out for me? Well, like everyone in the planet is feeling that. And hopefully things will get a little bit better now that it's just station direct. Yeah, Lori Cabot, when I was studying with her, she always did a lot of uh, Jupiter magic and she always explained it as the success planet and the ability to influence people in high places. So it really has mm-hmm. to do with kind of that you know, ambition in succeeding. And when did you say that it went retrograde again? Uh, it, it went retrograde on May 14th. So, and retrograde periods often have a kind of a shadow period where it's slowing down before it goes backwards and then it slows down before it goes direct again. So that there's usually a little bit of overlap before and after that it's not hard cut. Yeah, Um, I'm just curious to see what's gonna happen sort of in the economy and business world with Jupiter going direct again, because that sort of coincides with when things got really bad with COVID. You know, May was the peak of COVID in Massachusetts, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't, you know, you bring up the you know, Massachusetts, you can do a lot of astrology transits taking when a place was started as a natal chart. So like looking at the, like the fires in California right now, um, a lot of people, oh, well, it's, you know, it's this Mars square happening, but, you know, everywhere isn't on fire, just, you know, California is on fire. And so like what's happening with you know, their natal chart, there is stuff there. And so I haven't looked at Massachusetts's chart to see, uh, it would be interesting to look at the Massachusetts chart and the New York chart where we had our new COVID peaks so early and how like how that lines up versus other places where it's, you know, taking a lot longer. Yeah, we need to do a Salem chart. Yeah, so the natal chart is basically, you pick like when the, the founding papers were basically signed. So sometime in 1629, I guess. So yeah, so that's Jupiter, who thankfully is now direct, and we should all have a little bit more luck in our lives. And I think for people who have experienced luck this summer, despite this Jupiter retrograde thing happening, um, I think it's people who have been able to work that energy internally and really focus on something that's very personal to themselves, that they are very passionate about, that they can like push it through, because the retrograde does have that internal energy, that if you ex- have expected the outside work to help you, the outside world to help you out, you've had a lot of problems this summer. But if you've been able to take that internally, then those things will be much more successful. So right, and then October 1st, a couple weeks uh, from when we release this podcast, Saturn will go direct. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, yes, Saturn will go direct as well. So it has been, I don't have it written down on my notes right now when it went retrograde, but Saturn has been in retrograde for a while and will go direct beginning of October. Saturn is the rule maker of the Zodiac. He is the kind of the strict disciplinarian it's about rules, it's about boundaries. Before we had telescopes and the outer planets were discovered, Saturn was thought to be the outer reaches of the solar system. That was the last planet, that was the end. And so it's like, it's the boundary, it's the rules, it's the walls. And so there's, you know, it's just a lot about boundaries. And Traditionally, Saturn has been seen as like this evil planet in the Zodiac. Like if you read uh, medieval astrology or Hellenistic astrology, like going back thousands of years, Saturn is the big baddie. 
and mm -hmm. Mars is the lesser baddie. <laughs> um, and so this idea of like these rules and these strictures and just like keeping society running, like people think rules are a bad thing, but a lot of rules keep us alive, <laughs> you know, and, and our personal boundaries. We've talked a lot about that in past podcasts about personal boundaries and maintaining boundaries and how to have healthy boundaries. And, you know, Saturn is about healthy boundaries as well as authoritarian assholes. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's interesting that we're talking about this right now because earlier today I actually came across a quote um, by someone who I hadn't been familiar with before, but it pertains to this with someone called Dr. Jaya John, I'm ho I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, but he posted a quote from what I assume is a book of his called Freedom, Medicine Words for Your Brave Re Revolution. And he said, your boundary need not be an angry electric fence that shocks those who touch it. It can be a consistent light around you that announces, I will be treated sacredly. Right. And I think people have had a real hard time with rules this year as well. Um, I mean, you know, you work in a shop in downtown Salem and there are inconsistent ways that people follow the rules about wearing masks and staying distant from each other. Um, so you mm -hmm. see that on a daily basis. It's just in general, people are having a hard time following rules and we're seeing, you know, and we're also seeing authoritarian figures who are, you know, they say they are enforcing the rule of law, being videotaped, doing all sorts of terrible things that, you know, like <laughs> this hasn't just happened with Saturn retrograde, but you know, kind of this digging up of this stuff is possibly part of this retrograde, which will, like I said, will go direct in October 1st. So just a couple weeks after this podcast and the other planets, um, which will all be, well, actually, no, Pluto will go direct October 4th, which is the outermost planet. Um, and Pluto is a planet of power and power struggles and kind of domineering, but also it's one of those things that can be it can be good or bad, but it's a, it's a lot about power struggles. So that will go in direct October 4th. And then Uranus and Neptune will both be retrograde through most of the end of the rest of the year. And so Uranus is the planet of revolution and Neptune is the planet of dreams. So they will also be in, they will also be retrograde through the end of the year. So I think there's just there's a lot of stuff that isn't moving properly right now and yeah so i think that that you know there's of course there's a lot of other transits that are happening you know squares and trines and oppositions and all sorts of stuff that i don't want to you know spend any more time talking about right now because this is an astrology podcast but um i just thought that all of that stuff in retrograde really needed to be talked about that um that yeah the gears aren't turning right there's definitely grit in those gears and yeah, just across the board. Yeah. And we're slowly as, you know, like I said, September 12th, Jupiter goes direct. October 1st, Saturn goes direct. October 4th, Pluto goes direct. So, and then I, Neptune is in November and I think Uranus is at the, the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So um, the uh, Mars will be uh, retrograde through mid-November. So mm -hmm. it's not... Since it's a closer planet to us, its periods of retrograde are shorter than the outer planets, which go very slowly. Pluto takes like 200 and something years to go around the, the, the sun. So everything it does takes a very long time. <laughs> you know, I feel like I remember us recording an episode at the beginning of this year talking about the transits for the year. And you mentioned that there was going to be so much stuff retrograde. And we were wondering, like, what's that going to be like? 
I never would have guessed pandemic. It was gonna suck. <laughs> Uh, some like yeah. next level suck yeah no i mean i remember it was either at a solstice party or a new year's party that i was sitting with a friend when those things happened um and i was talking astrology and i was just like with these conjunctions happening this year i was just like shit's gonna happen if there's anything left to burn it's gonna burn you think things are bad now things are gonna get worse i didn't know how they would get worse and honestly the, I think it's the, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction that happened closer to the beginning of the year. Astrologers should have guessed pandemic because it has traditionally brought pandemics. Like the last time this happened was the height of the AIDS crisis. Or actually not the height, but it was like the, the start. It was like, you know, 81, 82, where mm -hmm. suddenly like, it was like, oh, wait, this is a thing. Um, that we can't hide from anymore. So um, I mean, we could but, have if someone hadn't dismantled Obama's pandemic response team. But you know. yeah, so so there, you know, in hindsight, pandemic should have been an obvious something that to go wrong from these particular conjunctions that happened. But hopefully, I am, they don't uh, happen again for a long time. A little over twenty years, but not in the. The particular pattern that we're seeing is unique right now, mm -hmm. like everything lining up and especially lining up in Capricorn, which Capricorn is the business, business, business sign of the Zodiac. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also where my moon is. So uh, a lot of people think that I'm a little cold when they first meet me because my, I, I keep my emotions in check. <laughs> 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 even though my son is in Pisces and I'm like no I want to hug you but no that's dumb <laughs> <laughs> so fine. I have a moon in Aries I just want to headbutt everything <laughs> so um but yeah so all the like all those the conjunction with the Jupiter and Saturn and Pluto all happening in Capricorn was a particularly severe place for them to be happening but yeah, so that that's my astrology rundown that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so much positivity. But yeah, the well, other no, astro is positive, but it's positive because these things are ending. This, you know, True. this that, that there is definitely a new cycle happening that these things are coming out of retrograde. These this, you know, the light can be seen. If next year's going to be bad, please don't tell me yet. Anyway, so the other astrological thing we wanted to talk about is the equinox, which mm -hmm. is coming up in just a few days. This year it's going to be on September 22nd, and the equinox is when the night and day are the same length, and that happens twice in the year, uh, once near my birthday and once near your birthday. Yeah, like we were talking about that, that we are, uh, our sun signs are pretty much directly opposed that I am a, uh, I'm a very late Pisces and you are a very late Virgo. And, and also astrologically, if you use the, um, the tropical zodiac, which most modern astrologers use, the signs aren't actually based on where the stars are in the sky. They are mm -hmm. based on the equinoxes. So Aries always starts on the spring equinox. Libra always starts on the fall equinox. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, they really kind of hold the zodiac together in that way. Yeah, so, you know, fall equinox has always been kind of a big one for me because it is right near my birthday. And it's actually been interesting getting used to celebrating it in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, we've talked before about celebrating holidays in context. 
And, you know, I grew up hearing that my birthday was the beginning of spring. Mm -hmm. But uh, I definitely feel the transition into fall very much in my body living here. So I have a little bit of sort of cognitive distance around that. But, uh, you know, in my you know, tradition of witchcraft, I, you know, I celebrate the equinox and we celebrate Mabin. And I know that that's not part of your tradition. Mm -hmm. So it, do you celebrate the equinox? I celebrate the equinox as a balancing point in the year. Not, there's no particular religious significance to it. In the, uh, you know, as I said before, I follow uh, more of a Greek tradition or the Hellenistic traditions and those calendars were lunar based and they did mark the solar activities, the four solar events of the year, the two solstices and the two equinoxes, not really with any particular holidays, but that's where they, um, they broke up their calendar basically every city-state had their own calendar and they would have the new year be the first new moon after one of those solar dates. So in Athens, it was the first new moon after the summer solstice. I think Sparta did the first new moon after the winter solstice. Some other places did the first new moon after one of the equinoxes. So it was definitely a noticed thing that was, you know, marked. I, you know, I celebrate it as a harvest festival, kind of as a non-denominational pagan thing. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So it's not, there's nothing particular in my tradition. Um, some Hellenics do um, associate various gods with the equinoxes, Persephone uh, with her, you know, going into the underworld, coming out of the underworld, Dionysus for the fall, because he's a god of wine and grapes and their fall thing, you know, so some people do associate gods with that and have special activities I don't I just it's a you know it's a harvest thing for me but like I said it's kind of a non-denominational pagan yeah I you know I've obviously been in sort of more Wiccan style circles even though you know I don't consider myself Wiccan but the, the witchcraft I've been around is definitely more Wiccan flavored and I've seen sort of two interpretations of the wheel of the year that tend to be predominant and kind of more Celtic based traditions and one of them which I believe the Alexandrians follow uh, is the battle of the Oak King and the Holly King throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this is the, the summer is the time of the Oak King and winter is time of the Holly King. And so as you are approaching fall, right. And getting towards the, you know, from the solstice to the equinox, that is basically the Oak King getting weaker and the Holly King getting stronger so they have that shift of power and then at the other you know the other end of this of the wheel of the year then you have the that power shift going the other way uh that is a, an interpretation of the wheel of the year that never really resonated for me because you know i didn't leave christianity to go back to something that is uh male-centered and so in my tradition the wheel of the year is more seen as uh, the sort of self-rejuvenating cycle of the goddess. The goddess is a constant and she sort of rejuvenates herself and the god functions as her consort and manifests in different ways throughout the wheel of the year. And so the story of Mabin, which I will admit these days I've abstracted a little bit, but to go back to that, the idea is that there is Mabin and Modron and Modron ha gives birth to Mabin and three days later he is kidnapped and so the story of them is 
her just living this ever-present grief at the loss of her son and she you know searches all the realms for him and eventually when she finds him you know he's been trapped for so long that he never mentally matured so he's the eternal child and it's become kind of a loaded idea and archetype for me because it is very much focused on motherhood and the archetype of the mother and you know i will say again that i do not have children but for me one of the struggles of sort of more modern witchcraft and working with archetypes of the feminine divine is that idea of maiden mother crone and how that adapts to our reality as you know modern women and the fact that many of us choose not to have children and what does that mother archetype mean um and that's where my idea of you know the equinox being more about harvest than about that little mother figure makes more sense. So I've started celebrating it more from a harvest perspective. But beyond that, uh, you know, even when I've had discussions with witches who are mothers, uh, the, I, the story of Mojana as sort of the ideal mother is overwhelming because, you know, she is consumed by motherhood and there is nothing else for her. And that is an ideal that is unrealistic for women to live. Mm-hmm. I personally don't follow the archetypes, the maiden mother crone. It's not part of my tradition at all. Um, but I have I have seen other people who do like those archetypes, um, you know, modernizing it, saying that, you know, it's more the, instead of mother, it's like the creator or- Yeah, I, know, I call like, her the creatrix is how yeah. I refer to her, yeah. And that it's, you know, it's this, it's, it's creation. It's more, you know, more art, artistic or business or, you know, just in general, creating things that don't have to be a human. Right. And also understanding that being a mother figure doesn't, isn't restricted to biology. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, even in concepts of shamanism, actually, even in my book, I talk about this, the idea of descendants, your descendants don't necessarily have to be biological because you are leaving behind, you know, a trail of everything you've done and every person that you've touched. Mm -hmm. And so the people who you sort of take on as you know apprentices or whatever word you use like those are your descendants mm-hmm. but you know your story um of you know the the grieving mother it has a lot of parallels to demeter and persephone mm-hmm. where you know that persephone of course is not a baby she is you know a young woman who uh goes away and you know, demeter her mother lays waste to the world until she gets her kid back <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. so there's, um, there's definitely some parallels to that. And of course, in, you know, in older times, uh, when a lot of these stories were written, roles were more limited Mm -hmm. and, um, and society had different views. And I think that, I think one of the reasons that people can react against, religions and any sort of you know a lot of people even that we've had on as guests are like oh I don't join groups I don't want any organized religion I don't want any of that is there's this real reaction against someone else is going to put me in a box mm-hmm. and I think that that's very important that um, for those of us who want to keep some element of these older traditions you know incorporate some element of, of older myths into our religious observances, that we update them, mm-hmm. that we acknowledge the world that we live in, because 
you know, it's the world we live in and we want to make it a better place and blindly following some uh, older notion of what that meant doesn't serve anyone except maybe the patriarchy. Right. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about practicing in context and honestly, the fact that this is the longest I've ever lived in one place and I've started to develop a relationship with this place, right? It's really sort of the first place outside of, you know, my home country where I was born that I've really developed kind of an extended relationship with. And so for me, it doesn't make sense to be uh, celebrating with a mythology that is so ingrained with, you know, its Celtic origins here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, it has really abstracted to more of a harvest celebration. And in my tradition, actually, you know, once I got into more conversations with my high priestess, we actually observe three harvests. And so this is the first harvest. This is the harvest of the grains, right? The next harvest will be the harvest of fruits. And then finally at Samhain, that's the blood harvest, right? That's when animals are slaughtered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and for, you know, here in Massachusetts, this really is the harvest time. You know, the mm -hmm. um, here in Salem, we have a, it's not really a community garden because people don't plant their own patches, but it's maintained by a local farm with volunteers that they harvest the food and then give it away at, for free farmer's markets. Yeah, it's a community so, farm project, yeah. yeah. And um, this is the first year they started it not knowing that there was going to be a pandemic, but that was really good planning last year. Someone had some good foresight with that one. But over the past couple of weeks, they've been like, nope, we're, we're running out of food. We're, we're digging up everything in the farm. It's going away. You know, those of us who have backyard gardens, the tomatoes aren't growing anymore. No, you know? my tomato plants like four days ago, they just all turned yellow. They just yeah. are all done. So, you know, this really, this really is a harvest and it's not a conceptual harvest for those of us, like, obviously, depending on where people live, it's going to be different. For those of us in, in New England, this is the harvest, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not, um, so it's not like, oh, it's just this conceptual thing on a calendar. It's like, no, really, you need to either like, you know, eat that food or you need to make jam or, you know, like you need to freeze it. You need to do something with it because you know, it's, it's real hot out, but fall is coming. Yeah, and that brings us back to that idea of, you know, what does a witchcraft practice look like and how isolated is it as far as like, well, now I'm going to go into my room and practice my witchcraft in isolation from everything, you know, uh, if, because, you know, we both believe that part of witchcraft for us is really being in touch with your surroundings and with, you know, context and with understanding that there is, the possibility for sacred work in, in the mundane, right? And so for a witch who's going out and harvesting her garden and then making tinctures and making pickles and making this and making that, that is part of your ritual, right? You don't necessarily have to then go and separately cast a circle to go do the the thing. I mean, you can also do that, but the, the more you sort of understand that, you know, you have that possibility for ritual and connection in all the, all the time in daily life. It's just going to sort of strengthen your, your rituals and your work. Right. And I think we talked about this, uh, much earlier this, this spring. Um, but we were talking about, uh, ritual tools and what kind of ritual tools are needed. And obviously, you know, having the right ritual tools really helps a lot of spell work. But, you know, we're talking about like, you know, in your kitchen, making tinctures and stuff like that. And I think I brought up the idea of like, you know, the whole kitchen witch, hedge witch idea of you don't have a separate knife for 
spell work and a separate knife for your kitchen work. You have one knife and you're not tainting your ritual work by using your kitchen knife. You are making your kitchen work magical by using your magical knife. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, so that it's, it's a mindset that you have to be in that, you know, mm-hmm. you have to, you know, I've started recently doing a, um, the meditation program I use, they've started doing exercise programs and it's all about the you know, mindful exercise and not just like tuning out and watching TV while you're on a treadmill, but actually like, you know, being in your body and being mindful. And I think that a lot of that sort of contextual witch- witchcraft that being with your practice on a daily basis goes back to that mindfulness um, idea. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, the more, you know, the more people we talk to, the more I go back to, and I admit that this was an acronym that I struggled a lot with, right? The idea of which is woman in total control of herself and, you know, getting rid of the the obvious gendering there. Uh, I remember when we had a conversation with Cheryl ages ago and she was talking about that word, that acronym to her being about responsibility, mm-hmm. right? And sort of uh, being deliberate in the things that you're doing always, Right. And I think that that is a really good way of explaining that idea, mm-hmm. the mindset that you bring to everything. Right. And um, actually, I think this gets us to a good point to talk about the tarot card that you drew for our readers for today. Right. So I was thinking about Harvest and I was thinking about that this whole growing season of the summer for a lot of us has been very difficult. And, you know, what do you harvest in this time of pandemic? Like what, you know, what is there left that we haven't already drawn on? And so I asked the question, what do we and our listeners, what should we be harvesting right now? And I picked the magician, which I love this card. It's a very powerful card. You know, it's number one in the, in the major arcana and he has all his stuff in front of him. He's got, he's got his cups and his pentacles and his wand and his sword and his infinity symbol and his roses. And he's out there pointing up and down as above, so below. And he's, and it's so early in the fool's journey. There's so much hope in the magician that he hasn't figured out all the obstacles that are going to come up later in the deck. He doesn't know the tower's waiting for him. He doesn't know that the devil's out there. He doesn't, like, you know, he doesn't know that all of those 21 cards are out there waiting for him to to challenge him. He's just full of hope and he's got power and he's doing his thing. And I really love this card that he's just, everything is possible. And the the energy, like the, the ingredients have been gathered you know, he has, he's harvested all of those elements from the four uh, directions and he's manifesting. And yeah. I think that, you know, we can really manifest what is in us. Yeah, but I think that looking at the tools that he's using is also really important because as you mentioned, you know, he's gathered all his ingredients for the four elements. And so what he has, right, he has a, you know, gold disc for pentacles. He has that golden chalice. He has a sword and he has a staff. Mm-hmm. And those are, of course, the four elements, right? Earth, air, fire, and water. And there was a time when it was believed that all of creation was made of these four elements, right? Before mm-hmm. we had the science and the technology to know that there was something smaller, right? And right. so 
really what he has gathered are the building blocks of reality and of the world, right? He's not gathered any tools. He's gathered mm -hmm. the basic thing from which you can make anything. Right. And it's very, it's very, very primitive. So I think it's telling us to really kind of dig down and understand, you know, what the tools that we have that are undeniably ours that we can use in this time, like, right, the things that are inherently yours, that are your powers and your strengths that no one can take away from you. Right, right. And like, yeah, so I just think it's, just, it's so much about, you know, personally manifesting what is within us and what our desires are. And, you know, I mean, maybe your work has slowed down. So you have, you know, time and instead of I know this is, I'm talking to myself here, giving myself a little <laughs> bit of a pep talk. Um, but, you know, instead of using that time just to be a giant ball of anxiety, um, to use that time to really form it into, well, what do I want my life to look like? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I've, I've been work, really working on that recently about what, what do I want my life to look like? Um, the world is all screwed up right now. The life I was living isn't as possible as it was before. And I'm not sure when exactly it's gonna get back to that. So in this time, when I don't have a lot of other options, okay, manifest what do I want and try to like move my life in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think astrologically, we're also heading to a very interesting time because you now we're in September now, we're going into October and October is bookended by full moons. Mm. right? It's kind of this container of energy, right? It has a full moon right at the beginning of the month and then one on Samhain on October 31st. Right. Um, and it is, I think the first moon might actually be on October 1st. Uh, yeah, because right. the, um, the, the, the new moon was September 17th. It was just two days before uh, now. So, yeah. So, yeah. So we have, you know, we're kind of, we're in this harvest cycle. We're going into what for, you know, a lot of us on October 31st is the end of the year. So there's a lot of stuff culminating and there's just kind of big energy incubator happening right there mm -hmm. at the end. And so now is definitely a time to gather our tools so that maybe we can do something really amazing with it in October. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think the magician card is a very hopeful card to pick. And I think that, I mean, it's work because it's like, no, you need to do the stuff. That's what you need to harvest is you need to do the work. No one else is going to do it for you. But I think you also want to talk about um, the tarot card for Virgo. And so the new moon in Virgo just happened on September 17th. And obviously Virgo season is ending at the equinox, but we're still in it. So, and Virgo is your sign. Mm -hmm. So I know you have some things to say about the hermit. Yeah. So, you know, the hermit card is the one that's associated with Virgo. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, coming after Leo is coming after the strength card. And so what it tells you is, right, you, you find that big push of inner strength in Leo, and then you have to take time to step back and integrate that. Right. The tarot pushes us through cycles over and over where it pushes us through the lessons, but it's not just push through the lesson and on to the next thing. There's always that moment of uh, reintegrating the self, right, and incorporating the new things that you learned, right? And that's one of the things that the harvest season is about, right? You don't just harvest the, the things for the sake of harvesting them, you then consume them, right? There's that mm -hmm. sort of act of, ingest, of ingesting and metabolizing. And I think that that's also true on an energetic level, right? The hermit sort of calls you to now step aside, uh, you know, take a look at all that sort of 
super solar energy that you were dealing with in Leo and that big push. And now let's look at what those lessons are and sort of reshuffle yourself to accommodate that, right? You have to sort of be willing to take in that new thing and integrate it and come out, you know, a better version of yourself because now you've integrated these new things. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned the solar energy of Leo because I just had this like image in my head looking at the card of the hermit taking that solar energy and just compressing it into a tight little ball and putting it in his lantern. Right. I was thinking about that too. Yeah. So in the, uh, you know, Smith Rider weight tarot deck, the hermit is pictured as, you know, an old man uh, with a staff and he's wearing a robe and he's holding a lantern. And if you look at the lantern, there's actually a six, uh, six pointed star. That's the light in his lantern. And that's, I'm glad that you got there because that's what I was thinking about too, right? So he's definitely doing that, right? He's taking it and this, you know, the light in his lantern, it's shaped like a star. It's not just any light anymore. So it has that celestial knowledge, that divine connection, right? So it's really an opportunity to integrate you know, new, new lessons and come out transformed. Right. And I know that, um, you know, we've talked about this a little bit when I was, you know, working on your natal chart for astrology with the, the idea of Virgo and how the thing that Virgo is looking for is to make things more perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's to try to like, you know, like what's the better version? What's okay, we got there. Well, what's the better version? And so I think that the hermit energy of standing back and not having the outer world give their opinions about what the better version is, that he is taking himself to the mountain so that he knows in himself by his, like his true spirit, what that, what the better thing is that he's becoming. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big energy of the hermit is to stop listening to what other people are telling you is the right thing to do. Right. And know who, what your better version is. Right. right, because if the question of Virgo is how can I make this better, how can I make this more perfect, right, internally, that also applies to the work that we're doing internally. Like, how can I be a better me, and what does mm -hmm. that look like? Yeah, I think the other thing that's interesting about the Hermit is that he is holding up this lantern, and it's come up with me, and I know in when I'm doing readings for other people um, that the Hermit has this um, energy of you know, he has taken himself away to the mountain to learn what he can, but he's looking down at the world or he seems to be looking down at the world in this card from the, his mountaintop and he's holding up the light. If other people see the light, they can find him. He's not hiding himself. He's removed himself in the world, but he's not hiding. Mm -hmm. People can find him. People can seek his, his wisdom, but he's not going to make it easy for them. <laughs> You know, he's not the hero, the, you know, the hierophant down, you know, with the people telling him about the, you know, his religious views. He is the hermit who he is up in the mountain doing his own thing. And you need to come to him if you want this information. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, that's very much, it is a real strength of the card that it's like, you know, you don't need to make yourself you don't need to be showy about it. You just, you are, and people recognize that you are, and they come to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I love the Harmic card because it's connected to my sign. <laughs> but Pisces is the moon card, which I, I've actually heard good arguments that they should, 
that Pisces should be the high priestess and the moon should be the moon. Um, so no. I, I'm not, I, I haven't <laughs> been fully convinced, but I've heard good arguments to that. Um, and, you know, tarot changes, you know, I mean, yeah, I change the numbering of justice and strength. So, you know, but uh, I do love the moon card. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't buy into that traditional definition of the moon card as being like confusion and deception and inability to see. Like, I, that's not how the moon card drives for me at all. But I will save that rant for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I personally, the moon is almost always a positive card for me. I don't see it as negative, but. Oh, speaking of tarot, that actually reminds me that one of the things that I wanted to mention today is my uh, online tarot class on unlocking the court cards. And so it's a self-paced uh, tarot workshop, and it's on the court cards specifically because a lot of my students talked about how, you know, that was kind of a sticking point for them. And so we talk about uh, associations and symbolism and kind of a framework for helping you really understand the court cards. And so if you are interested in joining me for that, we'll definitely have the links in the show notes uh, and you can find that at witchcitywitches.com. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and as I was saying, you know, like giving myself the pep talk about doing um, doing my own thing, I'm putting together a, uh, a series of uh, videos on YouTube myself and I am still putting them together right now. So I do not have a URL to give you. But they will be posted at my thismagichouse.com website. We'll have a link to them and also in the show notes. But yes, I'm, that's one of the things when I do my own astrology and like look at the transits and look at various things, every single thing lately that's come up is just like, you're unhappy with your job because it's not spiritual. And it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. And it's just like, no, really you're not happy with your job because it's not spiritual. So I mean, <laughs> it's not like the tarot hasn't been saying that to you for a while either. So maybe between, you know, by our powers of tarot and stars combined, you'll like actually listen to the message. Yes. And <laughs> I, and I am, and I, I am listening to that and um, yeah, setting up the guest room since I don't anticipate having strangers or even very close friends in my house for several months now, um, setting up the what used to be the guest room to be a, a video studio is my project this week. And uh, mm -hmm. then we'll get those videos shot. And I'm planning to do like, you know, pick a card type uh, general readings and also incorporate some astrology and uh, maybe some kitchen witch stuff, depending on uh, how things go. So uh, I'm excited for this project. Awesome. And well, before we go, I actually wanted to, I guess, circle back around a little bit to the harvest celebrations that mm -hmm. we're going to be doing in the next couple of days and talk a little bit about what it is specifically that we're doing. And obviously, you know, we both see this as a you know, harvest celebration on the equinox. And for me, uh, it's really about that grain harvest idea. So mm -hmm. decorating my altar with like wheat and grains and baking breads mm -hmm. be my thing. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely bread and just kind of food in general. I, I think, it, you know, since it is the, the harvest, um, I try to put together, you know, a pretty big meal to celebrate that. I don't have any specific foods, uh, you know, obviously, like I said, obviously bread, but uh, one thing that I do sometimes is I take some, if 
I take some of the taller grasses from my backyard and I make kind of a, like a corn doll, but it's really just overgrown grass. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and I make, you know, a, a human out of it and I will write, you know, things that I hope to happen on white paper and things that I hope to go away on black paper and then I set it all on fire. Oh, that's a great tip, actually. <laughs> See, I just use this holiday as like an excuse to buy an inordinate amount of pumpkins because we didn't have pumpkins where I grew up and I'm sorry, I love pumpkins. All shapes, all sizes, all colors. I just, I get very excited about pumpkins. Pumpkins are cool. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love this time of year because I am a goth and I like to shop for the various Halloween decor items that I will decorate my house with all year round. Anyone who comes to my house will see that all of my kitchen and bath hand towels are Halloween themed. Mm -hmm. Even if you come on, you know, random time in May or something, it'll, they will be pumpkins and bats and spiders and skulls. I actually thought of you recently because I saw some skull shaped popover like cookware. Amazing. <laughs> I, I have the mini skull pans and that I have actually made popovers in. <laughs> I feel like I remember you serving me a skull-shaped, like, baked treat of some sort. I'm, um, I'm sure I have. <laughs> so the next time that we are on an episode talking about holidays, you know, next episode we're going to have a guest, but the episode after that is going to be leading up to Halloween or Samhain. And, uh, you know, that to me is, you know, the end slash beginning of the year for me and a really big holiday. So I guess I would like to extend to our listeners, if you have any questions about Samhain and Samhain celebration or anything surrounding that, please reach out because I'd love to answer questions about that in the next episode. And you can email your questions to askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. Yeah, and that includes, you know, we are in Salem, which, uh, you know, it's Halloween town, basically. So if you have questions about, you know, I think we're, I think we're gonna handle I think we're going to cover that a little bit in the next episode when we have a guest. But, you know, if you have questions about Halloween in Salem and what does that mean on a normal year when we're not in a pandemic or what does that mean in a pandemic year? <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll probably touch on a couple of those anyway. But if you have uh, questions about that, also just, you know, send us an email and we will answer your questions. Yeah. And if you would like a tarot reading live on Zoom from witches in the witch city you folks know where to find us and uh thank you so much for tuning in it's great talking to you guys <laughs>